Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Tisha B'Av is a day that is known throughout Hebrew history as a day of disaster. Because why? The first temple was destroyed in 587 BC on Tisha B'Av. And the second temple, hundreds of years later, under the Romans, was also destroyed on the very same day on Tisha B'Av. So what does that have to do with us? And we might ask the question, yes, we respect that fact, but how does that affect my life? And I want you to understand that it does affect your life. It affects your life because we are going to learn some things about the loss of the presence of God. And that which the Bible records concerning the stages to the loss of the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose anything that has to do with the anointing or the presence of God. I just want more of God's presence every day. How many of you want more of God's presence? Would you raise your hand? All right. So we know that the Babylonians taking over the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem being sacked and burnt to the ground became ground zero. And all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were exiled, annexed, taken out of their land, and brought to Babylon. But God was faithful to fulfill his promise through the prophet Jeremiah, and they came back exactly at the time Jeremiah prophesied. They had to come back. This, this exile had to be different than the exile into Egypt. It had to be totally different because the whole state of Israel was now no longer sovereign. And now it was actually at the time of Zedekiah being um, taken over by the Babylonian Zedekiah, the last king of Jerusalem, the last king of Israel, the last king of Judah, until Messiah sits on the throne. He's the very last king at the time of the first Tishabah. That, that Zedekiah leaving and uh, no longer being king meant that Israel lost its sovereignty. There was no more sovereign rule of Israel. The northern kingdom diminished in 756 BC. And we see when Sennacherib and the Assyrian armies came in and scattered the 10 tribes in the north to the ends of the earth. And to this day, they are still not gathered back. And the southern kingdom, which capital was in Jerusalem by the kings of Judah, that was destroyed in 586 B.C. So from that point of 586 B.C. till 1948, when Israel became a sovereign state again, we have all those thousands of years that Israel was no longer a sovereign state ruling over their own land. But thanks be to God, biblical prophecy is being fulfilled and somebody ought to give God the praise. Amen. All right. So tonight I want to share with you this supernatural stages of Tisha B'Av in our own life. What brings the loss of the presence of God in our own life? And what is returned in Tisha B'Av in the Messianic era? Now I want you to know the tabernacle and later the temple had four supernatural signs that diminished in the time of Tisha B'Av. Okay. The breastplate on the on the high priest, the Urim Vituvim, was lost in the Babylonian exile and never recaptured. That is going to be restored in the Messianic era, and because Messiah has come, that has already been restored back into the church, and I will explain how you can operate in that. Okay, the holy fire stopped. In other words, fire would fall from heaven as we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the Bible says the fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. We also see in 1 Kings chapter 18 that when Elijah wanted to God to show Israel that he is God, the Bible says the fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So the fire falling from heaven was a visible sign of the presence of God, and that ended at the first tip. The second temple, when it was rebuilt, had no holy fire. The second temple, when it was rebuilt, did not recapture the garments of the high priest in the sense that the Urim Vituvim, and I will explain what that is. It, it is a special 
a pouch that is in the breastplate of the high priest with the name of God that enabled the high priest to be able to give divine direction to Israel when Israel went to war. And I will explain that in a moment. That was missing after the first Tishabah. And then, of course, Ezekiel's version of Tishabah. The prophet Ezekiel gives us an entire, an entire prophecy of several chapters uh, that are based on the annexing of the glory of God. Ezekiel's version of Tishabov is when the angels came down from heaven, as seen in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, and Ezekiel chapter 11. The cherubims came down from heaven to lift the glory of God off the earth and take it back to heaven. That is Ezekiel's version of Tishabab, the presence of God and the glory lifting off the temple. So what are we getting out of this? Number one, we're getting that we know we have a Tishabab in our life when there is no heavenly fire. Number two, we know we have a Tishabab in our life when there is no glory, when the glory has descended off and it no longer remains with us. We know we have a Tishabab when there is no divine direction from the word of God, like the breastplate being taken captive. And we know we have a tish above in our life when the Ark of the Covenant, because the Ark was never recaptured, when there is no holy understanding of how to enter into the presence of God behind the veil, when it's already been paid for by the blood, because when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that the veil was rent in two, and we have access into the Holy of Holies. But if we don't enter in and know how to enter into the Holy of Holies, then we have a tish above in our life. Are you with me if you are? say amen. Say this with me. Tonight, I'm going to get back everything that the devil has stolen. Come on. Tonight, I'm getting back the glory. I'm getting back the holy fire. I'm getting back the prophetic breastplate. And tonight, I'm getting the ark back into my life. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So let's see these four supernatural stages and these four supernatural entities that were annexed and taken out in the first Tishabab, which took place in 587 BC at the destruction of the first temple, were never restored in the second temple era. So on the second temple era that was led by Zerubbabel and that an expedition from Babylon or Persia back to the Holy Land that included the rebuilding of the temple and the prophets Haggai and Zechariah who assisted the settlers that are rebuilding the ruins of Zion. That second temple never had these four supernatural miraculous manifestations because it is saved for the messianic era. So we are going to believe God this Tishabob that the glory is returning like we've never seen before that the fire of God is going to fall on our lives that we are going to operate in the prophetic gifts that God has ordained for our lives and understand the prophetic voice of God can I get a witness somewhere and the glory to be revealed in our midst and the recapture of the presence of God in our own lives by the ark. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right, so we're going to 2 Kings chapter 24, and we're going to begin with verse 11, and it's, we're only going to look at three verses of Scripture. Verse 11 is only for context. Verses 12 and 13 are actually two spiritual stages of the beginning of a tishabov like experience in our life. Tishabov meaning the presence of God is leaving. Okay, we don't want that, do we? But did you realize if we look at the church and we compare it, if we just take, for example, what happened at Azusa and what's happening now, we ought to fall on our face in repentance. We ought to fall on our face crying night and day before God, why isn't it happening now? If we look at the way God miraculously manifested his presence in the Welsh revival, well, I mean, you just look at some of the teachings of Evan Roberts, and in the middle of the in the middle of the services, he would he would say somebody is showing themselves instead of God, so the anointing can't fall. 
persons that are praying are showing themselves they want to be seen instead of instead of yielding to the Holy Spirit. Little precious, precious gems. You study their lives. Both Evan Roberts and William Joseph Seymour had an unusual relationship with the Holy Spirit as a person, not as a power, as a person. And that's the secret. That was Miss Kuhlman's secret. And that is the secret to the anointing in our own lives. So let's look at this historical documentation that leaves a legacy for us. Looking at verse 11. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city and his servants did besiege it. This is just a basic shot telling us that Nebuchadnezzar came and he besieged the city. That means that this is the initial surrounding of Jerusalem and the locking up of the city. No one goes out, no one comes in. Now look at verse 12, very important. And Jehoiakim, king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. Let me explain to you what's going on here. City has been besieged, and in the eighth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, what does he do? He went out. What does that mean? That means he surrendered. He surrendered his crown to the king of Babylon. Hmm. What does that mean in my life? What's the beginning of a Tishabov like experience in my life? When I'm being besieged, when everything we have is being surrounded by the enemy, we're under pressure, we're under fire, we see that the enemy has got launched attacks against us. And if you are walking with Christ, you better be ready for warfare. If you are in the end times, child, you better be ready to know how to fight demonic spirits. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. You better learn how to live a holy life before God, because if you don't, you're going to be devoured and you're going to miss the move of God. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness somewhere? There's no more of this one foot in the world and one foot with God. I'm, I'm here to call you forth to live a holy life before God. I hope somebody understands what we're talking about. And it's possible because the Holy Ghost has baptized us in fire. And it is possible for a believer to live a holy life before God because the Holy Ghost has been given unto us and he will give us the grace to do so. So settle it now. If you're getting ready for revival, ask the Holy Ghost to start convicting and taking out anything that is not of him, anything that is self, anything that is displeasing. Just got to get rid of it before we even begin to talk about revival. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. All right. So here we see King Jehoiakim. He goes out. He's been bombarded. He's been besieged. And so many of us, when we are bombarded and we are besieged, the first thing the devil is after is your crown. The first thing the devil is after is your anointing because the crown represents your anointing. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 21 and look at verse 12. The Bible is telling us that the crown and the anointing are the same thing. So that when Jehoiakim surrendered himself to the king of Babylon, he surrendered his crown. He surrendered the sovereignty uh, of the spirit of God or the crown over to the king of Babylon. You see, when you surrender yourself, over to the king of Babylon. It literally means that there's no more rule and no more reign of the spirit of God over our lives. Hallelujah. But tonight we want to give God the praise and we want to give God the glory. Hallelujah. Because tonight we're coming out. Hallelujah. Notice what it says. Verse 12. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary. We're taking this out of context, but I want you to see the crown being prophetically paralleled to the anointing. 
The Bible says, neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon his head. So the surrendering of Jehoiakim, giving the crown to King Nebuchadnezzar, is a type and a shadow of the beginning of a Tishabab. When we surrender our callings to the enemy, when we say, I'm not going to serve God anymore, when we say, it's just too difficult, when we say, I can't go through this anymore. I think I'll just give it up. Somebody right now ought to say, I'm not surrendering my crown. I'm not surrendering my purpose. I'm not surrendering my ministry. I'm not surrendering my anointing. It doesn't matter who comes against me. It doesn't matter if I'm affirmed or unaffirmed. It doesn't matter if they like me or dislike me. It doesn't matter if they approve me or disapprove me. We are not here to please men. There's only one person we want to please. We're not here to be politically correct or incorrect. I hope somebody is hearing me today. We are here to please only one, the one we love, the one we adore, and we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That would be the worst thing in the world is to say that the Lord, that the Lord was, was grieved over something we did. It's so easy to do. I know uh, there was a time just recently, and I was I was a little agitated. Anybody here ever get agitated? I was start. I was just a little agitated, just a little, not a lot, just a little. And you know what? Jesus told me. I didn't know that the sacrifice I was giving him that day was so precious to him. And he said, don't do that because I don't want the sacrifice to be contaminated. He said, because it's so precious to me. I was shocked. I didn't know that what I had given God in daily activity, that he was seeing it as a ministry to him, and it was something that was ministering to him. It was just something that was grieving my spirit, something that was breaking my heart, something that I, I knew in the morning, I can't go that way because I have to minister to people. And the Lord said, don't, don't do that. Don't touch the sacrifice that means so much to me. I didn't even know that the Lord received it as a sacrifice. I didn't even know that it meant so much to him. I had no idea. And I thought to myself, if the Lord said that to me, how much more to all of you, your sacrifice, what you do for God on a daily basis that you don't even think is an offering that he sees as a continual service in his sight as an offering. We don't, wanna, we don't want to do anything, not one thing to grieve the Holy Spirit, not one thing, not one thought, not one action. It doesn't matter what goes on in this world outside. It doesn't matter who says what. It doesn't matter what they do to you or don't do to you. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. The only thing that matters is pleasing God. That's the only thing that matters in this world is are we doing what we do? So we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit for anything. Are you with me, saints? And so here we see, beloved saints, that the Bible says, he shall not go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, nor the crown, for the crown of the anointing oil is upon his head. So here we see the surrender of Jehoiakim giving his crown to the king of Babylon is actually surrendering the sovereignty of the anointing. We don't want to do that. So let's put our hands up right now and let's say, Holy Spirit, during this season... And by Saturday on Tishabov, we ask that our ministries would be so set. And we ask that if we have surrendered any part 
of service that you have put on our heart for you. If we've given anything to the enemy, we ask that you give it back to us. We want to recapture every area in our life of service. We want to recapture who we are. We want to recapture our identity. And we want to recapture the crown. Say it with me. I want to recapture the crown. I do not want the devil to take my crown. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, let no man steal your crown. Hallelujah. Now, beloved saints, let's continue on in the context, going back to 2 Kings chapter 24, looking now at verse 13. We are seeing, beloved saints, notice, this is the first thing is that Jehoiakim went out to the um, Babylonians. He surrendered himself. He surrendered his crown. And now um, Judah came under the saw sovereign rule of the Babylonians. He is no longer king, but Nebuchadnezzar is now the ruler over about uh, over the vassal state of Judah. And everything that Nebuchadnezzar says, Judah must do. Secondly, we're going to see that at the same time, he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, the king of Israel, made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. What's going on here? The vessels were deported in segments. They were not all deported at once. The vessels were taken out of the temple. The vessels that were beautiful vessels that were used for sacrifice, used for worship. One time a rabbinical council did a survey on the net worth of those vessels by calculating what the scripture says on the weight and how many vessels there were and the estimated value in today's monetary system would be in the trillions of dollars. So we're not talking a few vessels. We're talking thousands and thousands of vessels in Solomon's temple hundreds of years later when the Babylonians invaded. Now, what does that have to do with us? You say, okay, great. Isn't that wonderful? The rabbinical council, what a great, wonderful thing. They did an assessment, but what does that have to do with me in 2022? It has everything to do with you because those vessels represent instruments of worship they also noticed that they were at they were um they were older vessels they were vessels of antiquity notice solomon the king of israel made them that means that these vessels were made hundreds of years long before the temple ever burnt to the ground and there are principles there are teachings there are ways that have been exiled to babylon things paths that we have walked and paths that have been set before us there are teachings there are legacies in the church gifts in the church and anointings in the church and revivals in the church that have been exiled to Babylon that God wants to bring back into the church he wants us to regain regain the treasures back into the temple the treasure of prayer the treasure of true worship the treasure of missionary service the treasure of going into all the world to preach the gospel the treasure of being used of God the treasure of sacrificial service unto God treasures of signs, wonders, and miracles. Say, I want the treasures back into my life. Come on. I want the treasures. I'm not talking about earthly treasures. Let's get over the material world. Just get over it. God will just bless you. Don't worry about it. Serve God and he'll take care of you. Serve God and he'll bless you so much that you'll have so much you won't know what to do with it. And the reason why he's blessing you with it is to help the poor. Somebody ought to give God the praise. But those are not treasures. I got news for you. Those are corruptible things. What's the real treasure? I'd rather have revival. I'd rather have the power of God. I'd rather have a real move of the spirit. I'd rather have the Holy Ghost. I'd rather have God speak in the midst. I'd rather have a miraculous manifestation of God's glory. Do you understand what I'm talking about? 
talking about corruptible things. Let's get, let's get off that. We've been there. All right, that was nice, building faith. Now we got the faith. So let's believe God for the real things. Let's believe God for the cloud of glory to come back. Let's believe God for miracles to happen before people even get in the building. Let's believe God for people falling out under the power because the power is so strong that people can't even sleep at night. Let's believe God for tongues and interpretation. Woo! Like Azusa. Oh, my heaven. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't be a foreigner and go in to walk into Azusa. You couldn't be a foreigner. That there wasn't a miraculous manifestation of Jesus telling you who he was. If you were a Mayan Indian, like there was... There in Azusa, somebody off the street coming on in, and a little boy, just 12 years old, raising his hands and praying in tongues, and the Mayan Indian sitting next to him. And the tongues the little boy is speaking is a message being preached in Mayan to the Mayan Indian. Saying, give your life to me, my son, and the Lord calling out his real name. In tongues. That little boy doesn't know what he's doing. He's just praying in tongues. The Mayan Indian is hearing the gospel preached in Mayan. That Indian runs to the altar. No preacher brought that Indian to the Lord, that Mayan Indian. It was the Holy Ghost. Or the girl upstairs that was crying and when Bishop Seymour would just tap his foot, that's all he had to do is go upstairs in the tearing room. People downstairs knew what he meant. He oftentimes went, and people knew, uh-oh, somebody in the bottom floor is in the flesh. Somebody wants to be seen. Somebody's talking too long, and the Holy Ghost already stopped, and they just keep going on. Hello? And Bishop Seymour would go down there, with the sweetest, kindest, most humble spirit and say the Holy Ghost is grieved and we can't go on until the, this is resolved. Because only Jesus is to be seen and heard. And that young gal that was up in the tearing room praying in tongues, Bishop Seymour had already called you know, when, when it was time for preaching, they had preaching all day long. They had church. You know, we that church began and it would end in the morning. People, people never left church. Oh, my goodness. One of the reasons why the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts, was misunderstood. It lasted a year and a half, but his, the glory was so strong coming out of Evan Roberts that his body could not take the glory anymore. So it only lasted a year and a half because the glory was so strong because that young man started praying for revival when he was 13. And the Holy Ghost came upon him when he was 26. And a 26-year-old led the entire, the whole entire nation of Wales to the Lord practically. Pubs were shut, just unbelievable work of God. He asked God for 100,000 souls. And in a year's time, 250,000 came to Christ with no advertising. No, they didn't have phones in those days. No child, they didn't even have electricity. And, and Evan Roberts was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So completely sensitive. So we have to be sensitive like that. And notice these, tre these tre treasures were taken. They were taken to Babylon. We want those treasures back. Let's put our hands up right now and claim them. Father God, we claim the treasures of revival. We claim the treasures of the anointing. We claim the treasures of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we claim the treasures right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And, and as I was saying to you about Evan Roberts, that in, in, you know, the English-British people are very conservative. 
And they mostly all come from an Anglican background. He did not. He came, I believe, from a Wesleyan, a Wesleyan Methodist background. Um, a Calvinistic Methodist background. How you put those two together, I don't understand, but that was his background. And the, the anointing didn't usually fall till around midnight. I said the anointing didn't fall till around midnight. Hello. People would stay till four, five, six in the morning seeking God. Singing unto the Lord, the presence would be so heavy. And this is one of the reasons why Evan Roberts was so, he was criticized by some. Because the crowds didn't want to leave. They just wanted to sing. They wanted to be in the presence of God. They didn't want to go home. Because the anointing was so heavy. He was there. That's revival. Are you with me? I said, that's revival. Are you with me? I said, that's revival. Are you with me? I said, come, Holy Spirit, do it again. Holy Spirit, come, we want revival. Hallelujah. Our oh, beloved saints, I'm going to share with you today, very quickly, um, the return of the breastplate. Now, we've heard of the return of the fire, the holy fire. We're not going to go into that tonight. The, the departure of the glory. Let me just give you uh, a scriptures on the departure of the glory according to Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 10. I want you to see Ezekiel's visions in Ezekiel chapter 10. Looking at Ezekiel chapter 10, we're going to see the Tishbaav according to Ezekiel. And here we have in Ezekiel 10 the exit of the glory. And this is very important because he's documenting for us how the glory lifted off the temple in stages. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. But we're going to, to show you from 15 that the cherubims came down from heaven to lift the glory off. Verse 15 says, and the cherubims were lifted up, and this is the living creature that I saw by the river Habar. Verse 16, and when the cherubims went, the wheels went with them. And when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels turned not from beside them. And when they stood, these stood. And when they lifted up, these lifted up themselves also, for the spirit of the living creature was in them. And the glory of the Lord departed off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. What is this? This is the cherubims that came down from heaven and through their wings being lifted up, the glory was lifted up, and Ezekiel's visions tell us how the glory was lifted off the temple in stages. And the final place it was lifted, it, it started to depart. It, it left off the temple. It went into the city. It rested on the Mount of Olives, and it departed back to heaven from the Mount of Olives. Let's look at this so you can see it, so you understand it. Because Tisha B'Av is about the departure of the presence of God, but we're going to get it back. Somebody ought to say we're getting it back. And we already have it back through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 11, just so you can understand these concepts, I'm only sharing crash course with you for a moment. Verse 22 said the cherubims did lift up their wings. Chapter 11, verse 22. Chapter 11 of Ezekiel, verse 22. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over above them. Notice how they're lifting up their wings and the glory is going higher and higher because it's going back to heaven. See that? How many of you see that? Raise your hand. Amen. Notice verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. In other words, the glory of the Lord now departed off of the whole temple. Then it departed um, in places of the city till it went to the mountain, which is the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city. And there it departed back to heaven. And 
in the second temple era, when the second temple was built, the glory never returned. But in the messianic age, the glory is present and the Messiah has already come. So we need to ask God for the miraculous manifestation of the glory. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Hallelujah. Now, beloved saints, I want you to see today we're talking about the glory. We're talking about the holy fire. We're talking about the ark. I'm not going to focus on the ark. I'm not going to focus on the holy fire. I'm not going to focus on the glory. I'm going to focus tonight on the breastplate for a moment so that you will understand what is this breastplate and what does it have to do with me in 2022. The breastplate was a special um, a special apparatus that was given to God, to Moses by the Spirit of God when he was up on the mountain concerning the garments of the high priest. The garments of the high priest, remember there's eight garments of the high priest, eight in the Bible does not only represent new beginnings, as we all know and we say, but scripturally, Eight represents not of this world. Because seven, seven, six days God created the heavens and the earth, seventh day God rested. And seven is in our world. But eight in concept represents not of this world. So the high priest garments were eight. The other garments, four garments, were the garments of the regular priests, were only four. And so Exodus chapter 28, we're going to see the garments and we're going to see the function of the garments. And we're going to see what Paul says to the church about the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 28, verses one through three, the Bible says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, let us look at it. Verse, verse, uh, take unto thee Aaron, thy brother, and his sons from among you. Let's look at verse 2. And the Bible says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Notice it for Aaron, not just the priest, for Aaron. Aaron is the high priest, isn't he? All right. Notice verse 3. You will speak to all the wise-hearted whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, and they shall make the garments for Aaron to consecrate him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So these garments were garments of consecration. But notice it says, speak unto all the wise-hearted, verse 3, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments. Okay, so this, does this mean God is looking for skilled people with tremendous talent to sew? Is that what that means? The answer is no, that is not what that means. Does it mean that God is looking for somebody really skilled who knows how to stitch the garments together and make these incredible garments, know how to use just the right colors that the Holy Ghost is giving and knows how to blend gold with the linen? Is that what God is asking for? The answer is no. Speak to all the wise hearted whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. One of the ways we can render the meaning of the spirit of wisdom, haven't we seen that in the New Testament also? Where have we seen that in the New Testament? Haven't we seen it in Ephesians chapter 1? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. So we can see the spirit of wisdom is a phrase. Say it with me. The spirit of wisdom is a phrase. Looking at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 very quickly, as quickly as possible, we are going to see that Paul has used this very same. Notice the Bible says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may what? Give you a what? Spirit Say spirit of wisdom. Spirit. Say this with me. I have the spirit of wisdom because Paul just prayed that I'd receive it. How many of you believe that if Paul wrote it, you received it? Notice, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give unto you the what? Spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 28. Notice the phrase is the same. 
The Bible says, speak unto all the wise hearted whom I have filled with. Say this with me. I saw that in Ephesians 1.17. Okay, so now, biblically speaking, these two texts are related because the phrases are exactly the same. All right, so what does the spirit of wisdom actually mean? One of the ways we can find out one of the meanings of the spirit of wisdom is that it is laid out for us. Isn't it great when you get great commentaries? How many of you want to, would just love a great commentary that's really historically accurate and not just out of a Cracker Jack box? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. One of the ways you can get one of the most historically accurate, accurate interpretations in texts is the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Because they're authoritative, number one. What do you mean by authoritative, Dr. Crowell? Meaning that they're not just some commentary, but they are actually Hebrew-oriented, Hebrew authoritative texts. Meaning that it's not just nonsense or somebody's opinion. These are actual, these are actually considered authoritative in the world, in the yeshiva world, if you will. Why is that important? Because we want something that's really real, okay? We want, we want real facts. We don't just want somebody's opinion or what some philosopher said. Okay, so the Aramaic translations are not translations. They're actually interpretations. So the sages of the Aramaic texts when they translated it from Hebrew to Aramaic, they put little explanations in there. And they did homework for us. They gave us the authentic, real interpretation that was used in two centuries before Christ till the time of Christ. Okay? Because most Jews in Galilee in the first century, spoke Aramaic. Okay, so Jesus, his native language was Aramaic, but the Hebrew dialect of Aramaic. And the religious Jews also spoke Hebrew. So the rabbis knew Hebrew and Aramaic, but the people who are called the Amha Adits, the people of the land, they spoke Aramaic. And so therefore, any person in a synagogue needs an interpreter because they only speak Aramaic. And in the synagogue, the language is Hebrew. So you have to get what's called a maturgonim. And a maturgonim was an interpreter, an authentic interpreter, who read the Aramaic translations of the Hebrew scriptures to the people. So this means Jesus and all of his Talmudim, all of his disciples, John, everyone, is going to only hear the Aramaic translations of the Torah. They're not going to hear the Hebrew. They're going to hear the Aramaic because they don't understand Hebrew. They only understand Aramaic. But Jesus, of course, we know, spoke both because he stood up as a rabbi in the, in the, in the synagogue, and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And do you remember in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says, he closed the book and handed it to the minister. What does that mean? He handed it to the maturgonim, who's going to interpret it in Aramaic. Okay, so what does this mean? Why is this even important? Because in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the Holy Spirit is rendered as over 70 times, okay? Over 70 times where we see the Spirit of the Lord in the Hebrew scriptures in various texts, and I won't give you all 70 because we're not in class right now, but we're just in an institute, okay? In every place over 70 times where we see the spirit of the Lord, it is translated as the spirit of prophecy. I said every place where we see in the Aramaic translations in 70 different places. The spirit of the Lord is also rendered as the spirit of power. The spirit of the Lord is also rendered in rare places as the spirit of holiness. But the most general use of the term spirit of the Lord is rendered as the spirit of prophecy 
And why did they do that? Because one of the reasons is so that the Lord's name would not be taken in vain. This was common in the first century, such as the term kingdom of God. People did not want to misuse the name God, so they euphemistically replaced it with kingdom of God. And the same thing here. This is a replacement for the spirit of the Lord, lest it be misinterpreted, but also the sages of the Aramaic Targums teach us something because when the spirit of prophecy is used, it's not used every place the spirit of the Lord is. So we are learning something about prophecy and the properties of prophecy where the Aramaic Targumists sages actually put it in the scriptures. And this is one of them. The Bible says, if you read it, actually read the Aramaic translation, it says, speak to all the wise hearted, whom I filled with the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? That doesn't mean they were prophesying to one another. It means that the revelation that was given to them on what the high priest garments mean is a form of prophecy. So even when you get a revelation, it is a form of prophecy. When you have understanding, it's a form of prophecy. When you have wisdom, it's a form of prophecy. Prophecy is not limited to thus saith the Lord. And you say, what? Well, why don't you just read Acts chapter 2? Okay, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will what? Your old men shall what? Dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. prophesy. Notice, this is that. They shall prophesy, but yet the Bible is referring here in Acts chapter 2 to dreams and visions as a form of prophecy. So prophecy is not limited to thus saith the Lord. Prophecy has many components to it, and you and I must understand that this is the basis of understanding the breastplate because when they're designing it, they're designing it with the spirit of prophecy because the whole essence of the high priest's garments have to do with the world of prophecy and have to do with the supernatural and what things mean and how we we interpret them. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. This is not put here just so we know it happened. It's here to instruct us. Okay, so what are they doing? They're going to make a breastplate. And in the breastplate is going to be on the breastplate. It's going to be attached to the ephod. The ephod, beloved saints, is an apron-like garment that is attached to what is called the Hoshan Mishpat. It's attached to the breastplate. And in the breastplate are 12 stones with the 12 tribes. And inscribed in the stones are the names of the 12 tribes. So we have letters in stone. Say it with me, letters in stone. Say it again, letters in stone. Where have we heard these words before? Letters in stone. Where have you seen this before in the Bible? Letters in stone. Does this ring a bell to you? Letters in stone. What does it remind you of? Letters in stone. Let me go again. Words in stone. Letters in stone. Ten commandments, isn't it? Okay. So why are the letters in stone important? Because what is going to happen is that these stones on the breastplate of the high priest, there was a little pouch. And inside the pouch was a parchment. And inside the parchment was the name of God. And the high priest of Israel had the responsibility to pray to God. And when Israel would go to war, he would put his hand on the breastplate and pray to God a special braha, a special blessing. And what was called the Urim Vituvim, which is in Hebrew meaning lights and perfection, that the lights would come down from heaven, and I'm using the Talmud's interpretation of this. I'm not using some modern interpretation where there was some kind of stones that said yes and no. That I don't agree with that. Okay. What I, I, I believe it is much more, um, much more reliable would be the multiple sources in the Talmud from various different sources that tell us that 
it was lights that shone upon the stones. And certain letters were accentuated so that the high priest had the ability because he was anointed. And the reason it didn't work in the second temple era is that the high priests were not anointed in the second temple era. But in the first temple era, they were. So because of the Ruach HaKodesh, the anointing on the high priest, when the lights came from heaven, they looked at the stones and they were able to figure out the words that heaven was showing them through the letters in the stones to give the exact direction for Israel to go to battle and how Israel would fight the war. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, uh, that you may be able to withstand in the, uh, the evil day. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, the Bible is very clear and tells us, looking at the word, the Bible says, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth having on the breastplate of righteousness so you've already received the breastplate the breastplate has already been returned so that when you go to battle the holy ghost is going to give you divine directions on how to fight your war and somebody ought to say this tishabov i'm getting back the breastplate stand to your feet Say this with me. This tish above, I'm getting back the breastplate. Come on, I'm getting back the breastplate. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast. 